1990, the internet as we know it was created. An invention of infinite possibilities and unknown potential. There are now over 2 billion websites currently in existence. A wealth of information, functionality, and social media. However, if you dig deeper, there lies more beneath the surface. The strange, bizarre, and dark corners of the net. Welcome to the Weird Wide Web. Welcome back to the Weird Wide Web. We're back. Halloween issue. <gasps> Halloweener. We definitely didn't miss it. No, no, it's no. It's definitely not November. It's not. <laughs> yeah, everybody can just wait until next year and listen to this. Yeah. We'll just put it out now. That's it. <laughs> Come back. We're playing Come the long game, people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, welcome back to the Weird Wide Web. We've got ourselves a pretty exciting one. I think this is such a good story. This does fall on the more of the internet-ish oh. in the fact that there's no actual internet, but there is a computer. <gasps> okay, that, that, that counts. So I think I, we take that, and I think that's enough. But it is just such an awesome, awesome story, and, and nothing that I, I think, I won't say never covered, but it, it's definitely some some interesting things. And uh, I had to read a real book for this. <laughs> I read a whole fucking book. I oh. I tabbed it. Did you run out of tabs? <laughs> I went through three boxes of tabs. Holy shit! What what were you tabbing? Well, we'll get into what I was tabbing. Oh, I, but I guess that's the whole point. Yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. Oh, okay. Across. Uh, but no, we're we're getting ourselves into a really really interesting story and i don't really want to give too much away to you because i kind of want you to have the story unfolded to us but there's you know we get a little time travel maybe a little paranormal maybe a little uh spooky who knows Ooh. it's the halloween episode halloween spook fest that's right that's right this is the vertical plane or as it's also known by the doddleston messages Ooh. Uh, and we're pulling mainly from the book by Ken Webster, Ooh. who uh, he 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 also has a dictionary, right? <laughs> he also has the dictionary. Uh, no, this is the guy. It's he. The story's about him, and he also wrote it. Oh, so he went in so a rocket ship uh, to the vertical plane, and an interesting route you took it. <laughs> well, I thought that's just a, a synonym for a rocket ship. It's a vert. Yeah. It's a vertical plane. It, it is. <laughs> Jeez, you didn't I, you didn't have a tab a for that one, huh? <laughs> I did not. I'm looking. I'm looking, and nope, nothing, nothing. It's it is a vertical plane that was almost too highbrow for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think we should just get into it. It's it's so good. Let's get into it. We're gonna it. set the scene. We're gonna take it real back. We're gonna set, uh, set the scene here. We're gonna go back to 1544, Cheshire, England. Okay, okay. I we'll we'll get to the computer. We'll get to the computer. Yeah, I don't. I this is real adjacent to the internet here, Yale. Uh, I'm a little worried, but okay. I'll give you. Oh, full you, disclosure. 
there's no internet in this <laughs> other than it got shared on the internet that counts yeah uh, but there is a computer that we'll get to not so much right now <laughs> yeah i hope not it's 1566 not, that's uh 1544 uh 16th century is it right yeah did you yeah it is but did you, i'm are you fucking with me on the years or did i really just hear that completely wrong no, no, no. 1544, Cheshire, England. Okay, okay. Just keeping you on <laughs> your toes. With you. Yeah, that's right. All right. The sun dips below the distant tree line, blanketing a small farmstead into darkness. The night was an icy December night, rendering fire and blanket essential. A tired-looking but sturdy man enters the living area of the small home. He eyes his small child fast asleep on the fireplace chair. The flames had long since gone out, leaving behind a tiny handful of glowing embers. The man walks over and picks up the child to take her to bed. Then, from the fireplace, a green glow begins to illuminate the room, first with only a small glimmer, then turning into a blinding light, bathing the entire indoor space in an otherworldly radiance. The man backs away from the source, the child still cradled in his arms. The man stands frozen with fear and curiosity. Then, to his horror, a slim figure begins to emerge from the source of the light. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, this is the last episode. No, no, no. I didn't say a slender figure. I said a slim figure. Very oh. big difference. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> It ducks its way out of the fireplace until it can fully extend, standing at a towering height. The man's heart beats faster and faster, assuming this was the devil himself, and his days were numbered. Due to the blinding light, the entity is obscured in silhouette. It then speaks to the man. Fear not, good man. You are starred to be a great man, if you do not have fear, but keep your faith strong. With that, the strange entity returns to the fireplace, and the bright green glow chases after, returning the living area to darkness. In place of the entity now stood an odd glowing box of light. The man shakes the child awake and asks if she heard this entity and what she made of the bizarre glowing box. She had no recollection of any other person being there. As for the box, she only saw a vacant fireplace and its dying embers. She asked the man not to frighten her with his disturbed thoughts from twisted dreams, and so the two retired to bed. The next day, the man eyed the box as it stood unmoved from the hearth. The small child sat beside it, unaware of its presence. As she sang, the man noticed the words displayed in the illuminated box. He was intrigued, but did not want to be tempted by this madness. A few days later, the box remained. He stood before it and asked out loud why it would not leave them. Then, a short time later, he received a response from the strange glowing box. And with that, the mystery of the Doddleston messages begins. Was the box the, a computer, but it sold, he didn't know what it was? Very intuitive of yourself. Yeah, so what is what does this little setting kind of give you, I would say, before we dive into the rest of it? Uh, I'm interested. 
gives me like Harry Potter vibes, like them jumping out of the fireplaces and shit. Um, yeah. As as a means of of transportation, maybe maybe across. Some would say like I don't know planes or something. Oh, of the vertical origin. Maybe I don't know what the fuck a vertical plane is yet, but uh, maybe. <laughs> so that sets the scene, and now let's jump a bit forward. We find ourselves in our favorite year, nineteen eighty-four. Fuck yeah! <laughs> Though not in the serial killer-infested town of Cape May, but across the pond in a small village about 40 minutes south of Liverpool called Doddleston. Boo. Well. I want to go. Is that a boo to Doddleston or a boo to Liverpool? Oh, oh both. Big, big boos to both. <laughs> Fuck Liverpool, dude. Fuck you... them. They got lucky. They got lucky in their Champions League game that happened tomorrow because it's Halloween. It's not... I'm I'm predicting that oh, they get lucky in their in their game. I, I hate to break it to you. We can't post pre we can't travel in time and post this back. It's still gonna be after. But what if we're on the vertical plane? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of the hundreds of small quaint towns that cover the area, filled with people who all seem to know each other. A town of little excitement but warm, easy living. Meadow Cottage sits on a quiet street up a short gravel path. It was the end unit attached to a few identical dwellings. Its facade is covered in traditional red brick and holds two front-facing windows for the first floor and second floor. Here resided Ken and Debbie, as well as a new temporary guest, Nicola. Nick had been put up in the back room of the small cottage, an extra room that served as storage and the occasional music room for Ken and some other friends. Ken and Deb, who were dating, shared the upstairs bedroom. The cottage, at the moment, was in slight disarray as Ken and Debbie had taken to renovating it themselves. The living space was decorated with various tools and building materials. On a night sometime in September, the three stood together, not talking, staring at the wall between the bathroom and the kitchen. Going up the face of the wall to the ceiling were various footsteps. The prints appeared to be barefoot, and as Nicola looked closer, contained six toes. The trio brushed this off with a lighthearted chuckle as they accused each other of perpetrating the prank. The footprints were quickly painted over, having the paint already from the current renovations. It became more concerning when a few days later, more prints appeared, this time in the kitchen, barefoot and six-toed. Nick, despite no other options, contemplated leaving this living situation, though unfortunately for her, things would only get worse from this point on. Two days after the second set of footprints, they returned home to find a whole stack of cat food tins arranged in a pyramid. A musician friend of Ken's who often swung by to jam in the spare room became the likely culprit of this lighthearted stacking. Another two days passed, and another stack was discovered. This time, a four-foot-high tower of lemonade bottles piled high next to more cat food tins. How, mu- how much lemonade is that? Uh, it was four bottles, I think. I thought you said four feet. I don't know, four, 
It is four feet, yeah. So each bottle's a foot? They were like like big liters, I think. Oh, I got I it. I think they were big jugs of lemonade. Liters make know, sense. There's three of them. They love they love uh they love lemonade. They're big lemonade people. That's apparently. true. We're in England, so just if you could use like meters next time instead of feet, you know, just Oh, sorry. That's right. Try to be authentic uh, here, yeah. all right? Sorry. Yeah. And a little accent could go a long way. Just just sidebar. A little accent? Yeah. Okay. This time a full foot I dove <laughs> lemonade bottles. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm really doing them a disservice. Donaldson is like a very posh and proper oh, town, really? according to all the like interviews I've heard and stuff like that. Yeah, but apparently they got six thousand. They <laughs> got six thousand, eh? <laughs> Again, John became the likely culprit, Nick being adamant that this was the case, if only to ease her nerves surrounding the situation. Ken was working as an economics teacher at a high school in the neighboring town of Hardin. He had access to a handful of BBC Micro Model B computers through his school. Ken could even sign out certain computers to work on at home. During the early 80s, the UK government was trying to further their people's education around the new technology of computers. They did this through the Computer Literacy Project. The BBC commissioned an accessible modular computer from the company Acorn Computers. This would become the BBC Microcomputer System, or BBC Micro. Accompanying this, the BBC would also air an educational program for anyone interested to learn more about it, its potential. The BBC Micro was much more limited to today's computers. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> wow, That's very yeah. obvious. That is a <laughs> very poignant uh, observation there. Look at how many tabs I have. Look at how many tabs I have. How many of those uh, <laughs> are just giggles next to the words BBC Micro? <laughs> about half. That's the an oxymoron, is... you know? <laughs> <laughs> the other half is just me marking words I have to look up. <laughs> yeah. It also, what does this mean? I understand why you went through three boxes, because looking at it, it's like you went real tab heavy at the start, <laughs> and, then, and then you were like, oh shit, there's a lot more book here. Yeah. There's a lot. Of, it's a, a hefty book. It's 350 pages. Damn, dude. That's I, I swear to God, dude, this... I. This is the most I've ever fucking read and done for a write-up. I I never did this much in college or high school. You, you didn't do much in college, period. Yeah, That's true. <laughs> I got to go to class and watch a movie this week. Okay, thanks. <laughs> that was only one of my classes. Accompanying this, the BB... Oh, no, I already read that. The BBC Micro... <laughs> yeah read it again read it again please uh, the bbc micro was much more limited to today's computers <gasps> you don't <and> say <laughs> instead of installing applications different programs were physically added to the computer via roms roms but you didn't know that you're fucking smart ass were yeah, they like floppy dicks read only no it wasn't a floppy disk it, ROM is a read-only memory. It's basically like memory modules that you put into the board of the computer. So what is adds functionality? What does CD stand for? Something disk ROM? Compact disk? Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds right. 
<laughs> so originally it went straight to the board and then the CDs would just... No, no, no. So th- floppy disks existed and we'll, we'll talk about them. They're used in this, in this story. Okay. But that is different than these ROMs. The ROMs, think about... You ever have the Game Boy... And you had the attachment that adds the camera. Yes. That's what you're doing with this computer. So you're adding a camera to your Game Boy, essentially. Got it. Okay, 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 okay. I, yeah, when you yeah, first yeah. said it, I thought that, but I thought that was too stupid to think of them like adding pieces to a computer. No, no, no. But I forgot where we were. I forgot we had six towers and we're just fucking plugging shit <laughs> One such program was called Edward an early and simplistic word processing program, a feature that Ken and Nicola were particularly interested in. Nick had expressed interest in writing some plays, and Ken had wanted to type up an agreement between himself and John. The deal was regarding the music they had made together. They had hoped to start shopping it out to different producers. And so, Ken signed out a machine and brought it home. One night... After all three returned from their friend David Lovell's place, Ken noticed the computer had been left on. Interested in what Nick had been writing, he began browsing through the files. One file in particular drew his attention, titled K-D-N. Kevin Durant Nets? Well, close. That big, was that big in the 80s in the UK? I think, I'm just thinking, I'm... Maybe he somehow comes into this because he's a Twitter troll, and that's how we yeah. that's how we connect to the internet. Maybe no, we're not connecting to the internet in this story. Sorry, <laughs> no, okay. the computer is the closest you get. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that message read: Ken, Deb, Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat, went to (laughs) London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. (laughs) What the? I'm not kidding. So I took too much Robitussin one time and ended up writing out like a little essay and... I could have written this. (laughs) A key element we will need to figure out who is writing this. Nick and Deb claimed to know nothing of this writing. Ken, intrigued by the frankly cliche writing, saved it to a floppy disk. Hey! For you, for you youths out there, that's the save button. That yeah, it's a picture of the a floppy disk. That's right. BBC Micros could not store files on the computer itself. Any writing on the machine that was not saved to a floppy when turned off would be deleted forever. Ken took this floppy to school and printed out the message to review it more. Along with this strange message, the disturbances around the cottage continued. Mostly more stacking of items around the kitchen. However, on one occasion, a stack of four cans of lager was found with the plastic that held them deformed, twisted, and blackened as if burned. The computer was again brought home by Ken in February of 1985. It was set up in the kitchen and left on as the housemates left the cottage. Upon returning, another unknown file was discovered. This file was titled Reate 
a possible misunderstanding of how to create a new file. While on the main screen of Edward, the user had to type C to make a new file, Ken proceeded to save and print out the second message again. The message seems to hint at this writer being able to see Ken, Deb, and Nick. We also have a signature at the end of the message, LW. Upon printing out this second message, Ken, who was struggling with the perceived Old English of the correspondence, showed it to a colleague, Peter Trinder. Trinder was head of sixth form and had a fascination with language. Peter demanded to know if this was a hoax by Ken, which Ken reassured him it wasn't. Satisfied by Ken's answer, Peter took the printout to break down and hopefully date the language used in the message. Ken also called a friend, a solicitor from London, John Cummins. With John's help, the group typed a response to this mysterious LW. Unfortunately, no answer would be received until the afternoon of that same day. John Cummins had gone home at this point. The original message was unfortunately lost, but thankfully they had dictated it to John over the phone and he had his notes to review. From this response, we learn that L.W. was living in the time of King Henry VIII, and he, the king, was 46. Confusingly, this is contradicted by the signature of the message that reads, L.W., 28th March, Anno 1521. Oh, wait, 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 when they switched, didn't they switch, um, like, some years and shit? Didn't they, didn't they switch dates at some point? So, who's they? <laughs> you know, people. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest just right people? now. I'm just, uh, I committed real hard again at the beginning. <laughs> you shot from the hip I, I thought I had something real good because then I remembered. But this would have happened way before then when they, like, switched months and added later months like the Romans did. Um yeah, they're like still yeah. figuring out language at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, okay. I was thinking of like the years because obviously I, I have a feeling we're we're getting close to fifteen forty four, huh? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Well, if uh, you used your history degree <laughs> that you have, uh, King Henry the Eighth uh, may may have been in the fifteen forties. <gasps> oh. Could be. I thought Could so. Be. I, I thought so. Could be. My, my, I don't know how old he was, but Yeah. I don't I don't know if anyone does. This was only one of a handful of historical inaccuracies in this message. Nonetheless, communication continued, and in the following message we can finally put a name to the initials. Lucas. We learn more about the man, the loss of his wife and kid, and that he runs a small farm that grows barley for ale. Lucas also mentions that his house sits on red stone. Notably, to Ken, during their renovations, red stone had been dug up in their yard. <gasps> Peter Trinder continues to analyze the words of the messages and agrees the words themselves seem historically accurate, though the punctuation looks relatively modern. More days pass and soon another message is received. This one gives a full name. Lucas Wayman. Wayne Wayman? Wayman. I'm going to go with Wayman. It sounds better. How's it spelled? W-A-I-N-M-A-N. Wayman? But like, yeah, but think like British. Wayman. 
Wayman. I'm Wilkis Wayman. I'm Lucas Wayman. I just, I just make barley <laughs> for ale. I'm, I'm Lucas. Oh, Lucas in person. I'm Lucas Wayman. I'm Lucas Wayman. Me old kid and, and <laughs> wife died. The missus. She, she went out in the field one day and just fucking passed out. So I figured, good fertilizer, more barley, more ale. You know. That's right. I'm, I'm Lucas. That's right. I'm Lucas Wayman. <laughs> Oi. I'm talking to you on the computer. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> What's that? At any point, you can, if you want to hear some of these messages, that's what the majority of the tabs are. But they're really confusing. Are they <laughs> like all written gibberish? In, like old English yeah, gibberish? Yeah, they're written in, yeah, like 16th century English. So everything maybe. unnecessarily has an E after it? Fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> like absolutely nailed it. Yeah. We'll get into the words of it. There's a whole thing. Along with Peter's analysis of the language, Ken and Deb ventured to the local library to start researching the the historical accuracy of what Lucas claims. Disappointingly, they turn up little to nothing that could help put this potential hoax to bed. Throughout these days, the stacking disturbances continue. At one point, John Cummins gives Ken the book Poltergeist to read. This leads him to refer to these events as such. Exploring other possible theories, Ken and Deb discover the concept of ley lines. Do you know what ley lines are? They're big in the, like the supernatural and paranormal world, but no. But I'm gonna. Can I? I'll take a guess. I want you to r- rip it from the hip. Ley lines? Is that like where I'm just thinking of the story? And so I'm not gonna mm. specifically ley lines. But like limestone uh, in paranormal history, like uh, I yeah. forget whatever the hotel is that like it's built on limestone that they think that limestone can kind of hold certain energy or whatever, which translates to like it being able to hold a certain time period and they can kind of stack up on top of each other. I uh, no, but <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not too far off anyways. I and I will say that. I did ask you, I did want to ask you what it was to set up a joke, uh, a your mama joke, but I love your mother too much and I couldn't bring myself to actually say the joke because a ley line is the line that leads up to your mom's house. It's really good and I was really proud of it when I thought of it, but I just couldn't bring myself to actually say you it. You should have done it. You should have just committed, man. <laughs> no, I can't. I like your mom more than you. Well, I, that's fucking fair. <laughs> Anyways, the idea of a ley line states that straight lines connecting historical or geographical locations that intersect can point to sites of supernatural or etheric energies. So essentially, you have these like historical landmarks that, you know, Stonehenge, stuff like that. And you draw, if you can draw straight lines and they intersect, those points can be possible points of like, paranormal supernatural or just like you know mag- magical power essentially earth power hmm. that is uh, a load of bullshit uh, what how dare you you're telling me so like just because people create this random cool fucking thing in this one it happens to be in this one spot that we draw a line also you know why i'm calling bullshit where are we hmm. drawing these lines 
uh, they have to be like geographic or so, or like yeah. Are we drawing them on a map? Are we drawing them on a globe? Which which map are we using here? Is it is does everything intersect in Greenland because it takes up half the fucking globe on certain maps? <laughs> there was a period of time for a long time when all the maps drew California as an island. That's how it should be. Well, just fucking break off and go into the Pacific. You goddamn uh, hipsters and Hollywood whores. Just get out there. An, an, inter- an interesting uh, ley line location, Loch Ness. Ooh. Okay, now, Hello? Okay, now you caught my attention. I'm backtracking. <laughs> Another one. Your mom's house. Donaldson just so had. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Donaldson. Donaldson. Oh, Donaldson. They were able to see that there was an intersection close to or near Donaldson. What, do you know what it intersected? Absolutely not. Uh, like Stonehenge, maybe? Uh, maybe. This is where we get into. I don't even want to know if I, if, if I want to get into it now, but like. The writing of this book by Ken, it, it, there's a lot to be desired. There's a lot to be frustrated by in the way he writes about things, where there's both a lot of information and no information. That's helpful. So he just kind of says some things sometimes. Well, you can't blame the guy. He learned how to write on a fucking computer in the 80s. I don't think that's where he learned to write. He's probably still fucking renting out that fucking computer today, trying to type out his book, and you're giving him a hard time about it. He had to. He he kept forgetting to save, so then he was just like, "All right, fuck it. I've I've written this thing eight times. You know what? This fuck book it. is actually uh, a reprint uh, from 2021, and he writes about it because originals, first editions of these books." We're going from like eight hundred to a thousand dollars, and I was like, I would like to do an episode, but not pay that kind of money. Oh yeah, obviously because we need to use it on the budget for this. For the budget for this, that's right. Yeah, but he reprinted it for the specific reason that he saw that people were getting charged too much for his book. So he's like, I want to correct some things, like spelling wise. I'm gonna write a new book. I'm gonna republish this book. Okay, kind of good guy then. Not bad. Not bad. The first maybe nice guy but i have i don't know where this is going so i'm gonna be cautious a lot of shit's been going on in the world i don't i don't know i don't want to pick sides yet i gotta i gotta hear everything you gotta say <laughs> i i like when you hard latch onto somebody in a story <laughs> it makes it interesting yeah they're usually the bad guys that was the problem when i latched onto mackie <laughs> at the beginning of summer of 84 i fucking knew i thought he was a good guy i thought i thought he's just a nice friendly neighborhood cop and guess what? No, no, no. I latched on to the bad guy. But in my defense, I latched on to a guy who got away. So he's talented? I saw talent. <laughs> I, saw, I latch on to he talent. He talent. You really know how to pick him. Well, yeah. He was, he was so cool. He gave me candy. Ooh. It was awesome. I just do gardening like every fucking day. I'm cool. <laughs> he's an ice pop. I'm a cool guy. <laughs> Ask me about my peenies. <laughs> Excuse me? Daffodils. What? What? <laughs> That's the, all the plants I know. Um, Pansy. Would you call me? No, another plant. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Pussy. After a few... <laughs> <laughs> 
After a few days of not bringing the computer back to the cottage, a significant poltergeist would be discovered. Ken found the floppy disk he was using to save all the messages among a pile of violently jostled papers in the kitchen. Wait, what's violently jostled? Like, I like, think uh, I graduated and I threw all my papers. So, But aggressively. Not, not crumpled <laughs> up, but like just kind of scattered, but you can tell there was... It was with force. Yeah, it was violent. <laughs> this fucking ghost is a passive aggressive asshole. <laughs> Just stacking caps. Just stacking. Here's your cap. Here's your lemonade. And fucking fuck these papers. <laughs> there, there were more. There were more significant poltergeists. Like uh, pots and pans were getting uh, stacked. One pan, the handle was bent. <gasps> Uh, one time there was one time dead Deb came back and actually I don't know if I put it in this, but basically all the fucking furniture was pushed up against the wall and like tipped on its side. It's crazy. It gets wild. Damn, spooky. Amongst those papers, Ken found the floppy disk. As he picked up the disk, he realized where it once just said Lucas W. It now read. Lucas W. wants to communicate. He wants the computer back. If it doesn't come, there could be disturbances. But didn't they already happen? Yeah, kind of, but (laughs) more. More disturbances. (laughs) Violent paper throwing. Uh, I'll crumple that shit. I might tear something. Woo! (laughs) At this point, the poltergeist had gotten so bad that Ken and Deb found a small cottage nearby and began spending their nights there. Along with the messages, Ken experiments with other means of communication. He tries to explain to Lucas cars, specifically the Jaguar XJ Coupe he had just purchased. It was like an old beat-up one that he was having a mechanic friend help him out with. They are not (laughs) well-off. Got it. That was going to be my next question. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that's like quintessential English, though, is like get the Jaguar. Uh, and I'm just thinking like Shaun of the Dead, like his stepdad gets the new Jaguar. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Except this Jaguar doesn't run as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to illustrate the car, Ken found a similar model in a magazine, cut it out, and left it next to the computer with the message. When they retrieved the picture, it was discolored and charred on the edges as if burned. In their responses, Peter suggests not pointing out the historical inaccuracies to make Lucas believe they were gullible. This would ultimately backfire when Lucas questions if Ken was or was not a learned man. Supposing he was, why had he not corrected him on these mistakes? It seems Lucas was testing the group as much as they were investigating him. Oh, that's also a funny thing that I think doesn't get brought up enough is in a lot of these like kind of poltergeisty time mm-hmm. difference thingies, uh, you might just be dealing with someone who's not that smart. Right. Like they like I could ask you, like, who was who was the president three presidents ago? <laughs> Man, definitely a guy. Who who was it? That's King Henry the (laughs) Eighth. See, (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, you could just be dealing with someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. It could it could be. It could be. The momentary stumble prompts Ken, Deb, and Peter to get together, make a plan for future messages. They identify three issues. One, Ken and Deb both needed to be accounted for when messages were received. Two, an external investigation was necessary by the Society for Cyclical Research. And three, security at the cottage needed to be increased. Better locks and shit like that, not like hiring a person. Yeah, just some fucking bald bouncer guy walking around. Jason Statham? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I'm gonna transport you. <laughs> Where do you need to get to? 1544. Oh, I'll, I'll transport this computer. <laughs> Peter had also been handling many of the written responses sent to Lucas. Lucas taken takes an instant liking to Peter as they are both Oxford men. The group tries to unravel more about the circumstances of this situation to little avail, though they do learn that Lucas refers to his box as the Leem's Boist, which means uh, boxalite. It means boxalite. Oh, uh, that's funny. How do you refer to your box? The Leem's <laughs> Moist. (laughs) (laughs) One message breaks the normal flow of call and response. A poem Lucas wrote. This poem describes a beautiful girl that visited him briefly, but did not speak. When discussing this, Deb reveals that the night before, she had had a dream that she had visited who she presumed to be Lucas. Similar To the collective of Ken, Deb, and Peter, Lucas announced that he would also reveal this phenomenon to a friend. This friend introduced himself as John. There's a lot of Johns in this story, so keep up. All right, I'm on it. Up to, (laughs) I see you taking notes there. You need some tabs? I'm all out, man. I I went to the store and they (laughs) said some guy took them all. We don't got any left. Buying all the tabs and only using two colors. (laughs) Up to this point, he had not succeeded in getting others to see or believe in the Leem's voice. Instead, his cook and others claimed he was mad and tempted with thoughts of the devil. In mid-April, John Stiles, a research liaison for the Society of Cyclical Research, would finally reach out. The SPR was founded in 1882 by a group interested in applying the scientific method to various areas such as thought transference, mediumship, apparitions, haunted houses, and seances. Over the phone, Ken walks Stiles through the events like so many other interested parties. John Stiles was upfront in that, typically, many of these phenomena turned out to be hoaxes. Regardless, he agreed to look for a suitable investigator and put them in touch shortly. The communications continue with Lucas and the group falling into an almost routine part of their lives. Deb has another dream about Lucas, where he tries to get Catherine, his smaller adopted daughter, to see her. Adopted is kind of... He, he's, like, caring for her. It's, it's adopted in the sense that, like, I think he found her, like, orphaned and just kind of was like, uh, come, come to my house. Come in. I got a uh, Liam's boist. <laughs> yeah, bring, bring, bring your brother, uh, Tiny Tim. 
wouldn't be much of an orphan. Well, I guess you could be you could be brothers. You could be an orphan and have siblings. Yeah, they don't rip them apart to be mean. Not unless you're in China. <laughs> Sorry for our Chinese <laughs> listeners. I don't think I don't think the Chinese government allows free podcasts. We're not allowed in. <laughs> but like the Leems voiced, Catherine cannot see Deb angering Lucas. This experience is reflected in one of the following messages Lucas writes to the group. The group is beginning to grow close to Lucas, but unfortunately, all was not all right in his time or his world. The group was met with a message, not from Lucas, but his friend, John. John informs the group that Lucas was arrested and held in the local dungeon. John pleads with the group to help Lucas and claims their interactions with him were the cause of his imprisonment. However, they are lost as what to do to help poor Lucas. John suggests that they must give him the power of the Leem's voice and show themselves to the sheriff. If they do so, the sheriff will go to the king and argue for Lucas's release. Within these messages, we also learn that Lucas is not his proper name, though John does not know what it is. That's significant because if we have a real name, you know, they're they're doing some library research, check can't the deeds. find a Lucas Wayman. Yeah. Check check in any kind of paperwork. You know, he's an Oxford man. We gotta find that. Boom, 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 boom. God, I got That's it. That's them researching. I got it. That's Bing they... boop boop boop. Boop boop boop. I lo- I read a book. I I look somewhere. Uh, boop, 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 boop. John continues to plead for Ken, Deb, or Peter to help Lucas, but claims when he tries to move the Leem's boist, it disappears. Ken asks if John can convince the sheriff to bring Lucas back to the house to prove he is not mad. This plan worked to the relief of everyone involved, and a message from Lucas was soon received. He was home and safe, though currently on house arrest. In his return message, he also mentions that the Leem's boist was not from his time, and that the first words he received were not from Ken, Deb, or Peter. There's others. Also, like, what do you think house arrest is in the 1500s? Um, I think there's, uh, like, they put one, like, sheriff helper. Oh. I don't know. One orphan boy. And they say, <laughs> listen, you, Tiny Tim... Don't, if you see that guy try and leave, fucking start yelling. Start <laughs> Throw yelling. some rocks at him. Tell him, nope, not outside the house. I, I thought it'd be like, um, you get back in that house. <laughs> <laughs> like how they have the ankle bracelets today. Like maybe it was like uh-huh. the ball and chain, except it was just, <laughs> just one stake in the middle of their house. And then they could just walk <laughs> around like the perimeter <laughs> of the stake. Uh, but the, the, we'll find out. His his house is multi level, so that would be very limiting. Uh, yeah, that's tough. You can't make it long enough. You got to drill holes, yeah. and that, sir, is how the fireman's pole was invented. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we're learning now so much history right now. It's amazing. Yeah, and you can believe me because I have a history degree. He does have a history degree in something. (laughs) Theories of a potential ghost haunting or poltergeist now become muddied by the introduction of a new messenger, 2109. 
Ken, Deb, and Peter barely had time to wrestle with this jarring information as Lucas found himself in a dire situation. The group had sent the sheriff, Thomas Falhurst, a piece of his historical information not yet known at the time to assist in proving Lucas's innocence. Instead, Lucas found himself destined for the king's court, and the outcome was frighteningly unclear. Wait, so he's using them to, like, get ahead in life? No, no, no. So basically, they were thinking of ways of how do we prove to these people that that we're not like the devil or, or, you know, some, he's not mad. They're like, well, we know some information about his time that not everybody would know. Tell the sheriff that like, hey, I know these things and you know I couldn't know these things without this being like a special thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. But now, but now so that's working out in Lucas's favor because now they would be like, oh, how, how the fuck do you know these things? You need to, we need to bring you in. And like, oh use yeah, your power. No, that's that's what that's what this line was. It did not work out. <laughs> they, did, they did not believe it. The sheriff was like, "Oh, okay, I'll bring it up to the king." But now Lucas, he's going to the king's court, and it is oh, not looking good. Oh, okay, that's where the disconnect was. It's it's not. Yeah, it's not the king's court. Like, oh, show us this fun thing. Yeah, I thought like Jester. Like, you like, may die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The old uh, the old. It's more of a king's. Thumb up, thumb down thingy. The court. I think that was Romans, but sure, we'll go with it. Hey, Catholicism still exists, and that was Romans. Like, come on. No, I mean the thumb up, thumb down thing. I know, but I'm saying like... Isn't that gladiators? I guess they did have thumbs too. But yeah, we still do thumbs up for good and thumbs down for bad. Too, and thumbs in the middle for... The group received one last message from Lucas. In it, he expressed his concern for his life. They would not listen to the story of fact Ken had sent him. He also expressed his fear of what would happen to Catherine, as she was only 14. He also expressed his love and gratitude for his new friends he had made in Ken, Deb, and Peter. Ken writes of the sadness felt around the cottage, that despite its strangeness, true friendship had been gained through Lucas. Ken also threw out an invitation to this mysterious 2109, a simple calling 2109 on a new file on the computer. Later that day, one final message came in from Lucas. Non progredi es regredi ad momento mori deus vobiscum Lucas. Latin? Latin. Yeah, they use a lot of Latin. Him and Peter do a lot of Latin talking. Those every Oxford once in a while. boys. Yeah, the Oxford boys, which meant not to go forwards is to go back to the moment of death. God be with you, Lucas. And that is where we will end part one with the unknown outcome of Lucas, the unknown entity of 2109. And we will pick back up in part two, with the conclusion and theories and of the Doddleston messages. <gasps> Doddleston messages. <laughs> Try to give it some type of happiness. <laughs> so yeah, that's the, that's the really just the tip of the iceberg of the Doddleston message, getting you introduced to our players. Just here. the tip. And we're 
what's your impressions here? What are you what are you getting from this? You're getting a little poltergeist. I, I already feel you yeah. feeling that vibe of I'm the get, ghostly. I'm getting vibe. a little uh, goosebumps over here. Shout out R.L. Stein. You know. Um yeah, no, poltergeisty, I'm thinking. Uh side note, R.L. Stein, pseudonym for uh many different authors. Wait, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think so. Anyways, continue. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, one of those authors, Lucas Wayman. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, Writing spooky stories. But yeah, oh, so one thing I picked up on towards like the middle that I want to also clarify for mm-hmm. maybe any listeners is yeah. So I mean, I you definitely already clarified it, but what I picked up on was I didn't know if this was before like. Lucas was talking to them and then they're talking backwards, but it's like their time periods are perpendicular to each other as in Mm -hmm. like, like he's living. It's not like he already lived it in the stories. They're messaging each other like in the exact moments just happens to be in different years. In their experience of this, that is something that, they think they kind of know, but it, it, it's really unclear. They're not sure if this, if their time periods are running along at the same time mm-hmm. and they're communicating or, you know, has Lucas been dead for 400 years? You know, they're not really sure. Got it. That- because there is that aspect of Deb's kind of having this like paranormal connection through her dreams where she seems to be able to like, visit his time lucas in a lot of his messages comments on what they're doing in the cottage or what they have done and stuff like that so it seems like there's an element of him being able to see their place and maybe he's causing the poltergeist or maybe it's another entity you know that's all kind of muddy got it yeah the one thing that's really fucked me up with all these stories uh was the introduction of Mm. interstellar and that whole concept of time. <laughs> of like multi-universes. Yes. And, and multi-timelines. And it's it, maybe it's Matthew McConaughey stacking lemonades. Oh, he could be stacking lemonades. What does it mean? Yeah. and <laughs> Where, it's you, Which bookcase are you stuck in? Yeah, right? What, what, what does this mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. But so that is very interesting. Obviously, I get, yeah, the computer aspect, clearly no internet. So it's not even a like a possibility from any out outside influence like you would have to be on the computer i'm very glad you brought that up yeah not only did these bbc micros especially the model b not have any kind of internet connectivity or stuff like that but the idea of the internet and modems and stuff like that were really reserved for large companies people with a lot of money this was not like a personal you know computer kind of technology at the time so very much not nobody's remote tapping in yeah but that does make me think so technically if this is a poltergeist it's some outside source coming into the computer so technically maybe it's the first virus on a computer ever Ooh, i haven't even thought of that aspect maybe is this is this Johnny Depp trapped in the computer again? Oh my god. Another what was that one called? 
Uh, I don't know, like fucking interconnectedness right? or something. It was like another that. inter one. Maybe this maybe all yeah. of the inter movies are interconnected. They're interconnected to fuck with these three people in <laughs> Dalston, UK. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, otherwise yeah, the other obvious answer there is of course that it's just someone kind of pranking them. Someone kind of fucking them. But I will say, and we'll get into way more of this and and, and we'll get into exploring our theories and stuff like that in part two when you get more information uh to work with but this book covers only about a third not cover yeah like covers only about a third of the messages they received over the time that this takes place they receive somewhere around 300 messages between lucas and other people maybe so there's a lot i i go back and forth on this all the time on whether I believe it or whether I think it's a hoax because there's compelling information for both sides, really. Well, I guess we'll have to explore that next time. That's right. Come back, please. Come back. Please come back. Don't you want to find out what happened to Lucas? Or should we say John? Because apparently everyone's named fucking John. There's a lot of Johns in this. It's confusing. Yeah, that's confusing. Uh, and what I say, I believe there are more Johns coming in part two. <gasps> oh, more Johns. Nice. More, more Johns. But yeah, so this is the Doddleston messages. It's such a good story. And we're, oh, it's about to explode all over everyone. Oh, come on, man. Come on. With, no, with like, spooky, like, no, uh, I'm just saying, like, come on. Sp- Oh, yeah, there there you go. (laughs) I'm distracted by your fucking RGB microphone. (laughs) Oh, is it? uh, Oh, it's changing again. It's like a lava lamp is in here. It Um, is like a lava lamp. How very aesthetic. I I wanted to ask you one question before we we wrap up here. Uh, You can ask me as many questions as you want. No, just one. I just want to ask you one. (laughs) Um, Okay, but so you got to answer it either way. Whatever, but uh-huh. it, 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 I don't know what you said that made me think of this, but okay. So, would you rather eat a goat baby or a matter baby? A goat baby or a matter baby? You got to pick one. A goat baby or a matter baby? I mean, I would just have to say, what is the matter baby? <laughs> Nothing, I'm all right. <laughs> oh god should have ended the recording 10 minutes ago (laughs) well you still can edit it out well that's the exciting introduction to the dollston messages and join us again for part two for the exciting conclusion and then we'll get into theories and what we're thinking and is it real and we'll talk about are we gonna talk about the internet (laughs) will we talk about kanye west or kyrie irving no. <laughs> or will they be on the Doddleston messages where even in 1544 they're considered anti-Semitic? Probably. <laughs> Which it brings us to a wonderful segue. If you've got a crazy internet story and want to reach out to us, we would love to hear it. Or share us around or give us a rating. We love it. It helps so much. We love you. Uh, but you can reach out to us at weirdwidewebpod at gmail.com. 
you ch- can check us out on Instagram at at weirdwideweb.pod. And you will not check us out on Twitter because I'm going to take us off of that shit shit platform. Oh, but Eli's so nice. Come on. He's no, do- he's not. He's those daddy. I fucking hate him <laughs> so much. Why? Why do you He's hate such him? Such a little shit bag. Huh? Oh, I don't know. He fired a bunch of people. He's making all the Twitter employees burn crunch. There has been a, an, a substantial increase in the use of the N-word on Twitter since he took over. I don't know. But, One of the many, many fucking things. But he throws daddy. I fucking hate him. To the moon! That's the Weird Wide Web. <laughs> Join us again for part two of the Donaldson Messages. Bye! Bye!